everyone. Welcome to our third episode of the Hate Read Podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. And every fortnight here on Hate Read, uh, one of us challenges the other to a book that we think they'll hate, and we both read it. Uh, this fortnight, I challenged Anna to read Chris Harrison's The Perfect Letter. Ugh. <laughs> so, uh, first things first, Anna, did you finish the book? Barely. <laughs> By the skin of my teeth. <laughs> It's very exciting this week on Hate Read because we are actually in the same city for once. Yes, though right now but we are s- sitting in two separate rooms. <laughs> we are still recording over Skype because we could not find a room that didn't have massive amounts of echo. Yes, so I'm like hiding behind my bed right now. <laughs> and I am using an ironing board as a desk. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> All right, so uh, Anna, would you like to uh, start describing what the hell happened in this book? Oh my goodness, so much happened in this book. Chris Harrison's The Perfect Letter. (laughs) (laughs) So it starts out, we have our main character, Lee Merrill. Lee Mm -hmm. is a very, um, I guess, famous editor of romance (laughs) novels, and she has just bagged herself the book to beat all books. Um, this guy, I guess, he was promised never to write another book again and then wrote a book because she asked him to. So they're having this big party for Lee. Um, Lee has a boyfriend named Joseph who she met when she moved to New York. And unfortunately, Joseph is destined to be <laughs> the Baxter of these books. <laughs> of this book um (laughs) joseph makes the poor decision to propose to lee uh at this party the only thing that joseph does wrong in this entire book but we're supposed to hate him i guess i don't know yeah yeah we're supposed to hate this poor boy i actually like felt like i was was gonna hate joseph because of this scene because like public proposals is like my number one fear (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, spiders, people hiding in the back of my car, and then like someone proposing to me in public. <laughs> With everybody watching you. So awkward. So Lee, of course, says no to this. Per- well, she doesn't say no. She says, can we talk about this at home? She says, uh, 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 I don't know. What? <laughs> so, so the two of them go home. To assumably talk about it, but instead Lee decides to initiate sex, because that's exactly what (laughs) Joseph would need right now. A woman just turned down his offer of marriage, and now she just wants to sex him. (laughs) (laughs) And also, um, decides to introduce him to a kink of hers in a very, like, (laughs) surprise fashion. (laughs) In the worst way you can ever introduce someone to a kink. Yeah, she, like, throws him down on the bed and ties him up. And this is literally something he says he's never heard her talk about before at all whatsoever. But Right, which also, like, as kinks go, like, that's that's a dangerous one to just get into with, like, no discussion beforehand. Right. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not safe sex practices, Lee. Come on. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of the worst throughout this whole book. Um, Lee is the worst character <laughs> in the world. <laughs> So after this whole botched 
sexual encounter. Um, Joseph decides to leave. They didn't talk about anything um, that clearly wasn't something that Lee had on the docket for the night. Um, So he goes home and then is back first thing the next morning to take her to the airport because she's going on a week-long trip to Austin, her hometown, to speak at a conference, I think. Um, she's like the keynote speaker at a conference for local authors in Austin. Everyone is super jazzed that this famous editor is rolling on into town. Yeah, which I guess she has agreed to to speak for like five minutes. And then also to meet with... Which translates to five pages oh my in the God. book. And then to um, meet with everyone who wants to talk to her about their book. Which, yeah. I don't know, I've never been to a writing conference, but that seems like a lot for one person to take on for a whole week. <laughs> okay. Sure. Also, can we talk real quick about uh, the fact that, like, in this whole first bit where she's, like, we're being introduced to the characters mm-hmm. and we're being introduced to Joseph. And um, <laughs> there's a line where, <laughs> so we're, like, learning Lee's backstory and her backstory with Joseph. And they're talking about how, like, oh, Lee's parents are both dead. And that's the one quirk of Joseph's that Lee hates is that he just introduces <laughs> people. Like he introduces her to people as an orphan, which yeah. like, how does that even go? This is my girlfriend, Lee the orphan. She like, has no what parents. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's totally cool, you guys. Yeah, he is. he's awkward. And that really, like, these are the only two bad things about Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little bit awkward about her background, and also he did a public proposal. <laughs> and I guess we're supposed to be annoyed at the fact that he doesn't enjoy surprise BDSM. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, the one thing missing from her relationship with Joseph is just that passion, that fiery passion <laughs> that just drives every love story into the ground. So, we... <laughs> Um, find out that Lee is very hesitant to go back home to Austin where she grew up because of some, some dubious things that happened in her past. Um, none of which her she has told Joseph. Past. Yes. And she has told Joseph nothing of what has gone on in her past. Um, simply saying that if he wanted to know, he could Google her and find out. Which is... The moment I realized I hated Lee. <laughs> She's, this is like page 13, maybe. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, around that. And I'm just like, oh, so she's terrible. Yeah, not a likable person in the least bit. <laughs> um, but basically what, it, what, what we as readers know at this point in the book is that um, someone was shot and killed in her grandfather's barn. Her grandfather is a multimillionaire horse breeder who breeds horses that win a thousand Kentucky Derbies. And and so he has so much. Yes. Yeah, so it's just, it's coming out of his butt. It's just so much. And so she, her boyfriend went to jail over this crime that was committed. So Lee's first act, I guess, upon getting to Austin is to go and get super drunk with her BFF, Chloe, where she, and, and she runs into this creepy guy at a bar who hits on her and implies that he knows a lot about her. And Lee is, he like won't let her go. And he's trying to force her to have a drink with him and stuff and being like just super gross about it. But it's okay because Lee and Chloe just laugh it off and enjoy the rest of their night. Right. So, um, so that happens and it is pretty important because, you know, I bet we'll never see that guy again. 
so <laughs> the next day, Lee gives her keynote speech at the conference. So this book is called The Perfect Letter. Um, and within this book, Lee has published a book called The Perfect Letter about people who write letters to each other. And they're just... Which was the book that was being published. Right. Or that was being celebrated at the big party at the beginning. Yes, yes, yes. This was this was the novel of the century, I guess. And um, it is all about people, two people writing letters to each other. And she goes on and on in her speech about how um, letters are the perfect method of communication. And you can just get such a feel for someone's emotions and thoughts and feelings in a letter and um, how the perfect letter was the perfect example of this. And I'm just like the whole time you're saying they're like, Chris Harrison, are you are you just like bragging about your own book before it's even had a chance to get started? <laughs> like we haven't even gotten to the epistolary part of this novel yet that you've written. <laughs> also, this whole section is great because it really um, like showcases Chris Harrison's amazing literary knowledge. Part of her speech go, starts off saying, um, some of the earliest novels were disguised as letters. It was called the epistolary form. Like number one, like the first epistolary novel was like in the 1400s <laughs> and novels were around before that. Like, so I mean, not really. And then uh, she goes on to list a bunch of examples, which are all like Victorian era, mm-hmm. which again, those are not the earliest novels. What are you talking about? And then she includes in her list Wuthering Heights, which is not an epistolary novel. <laughs> See, I just I just assumed like, it I, was. I've never read that before. No, I've I've read it, but again, I was doubting myself. So I went back <laughs> and looked it up on Project Gutenberg. I was like, what? And then she doubles down on it because she brings Wuthering Heights up again later in the speech. And I'm like, Okay, so you're wrong, and you're going to bring it up twice. I'm going to be double wrong. Going all in. I'm Lee Merrill, (laughs) best editor. So while she's giving this speech, she sees her her, um, childhood boyfriend, Jake, in the audience. The one that went to jail (gasps) over the crime. Jake. And somehow she immediately recognizes him, despite the fact that it's been like 10 years in prison since she's last interacted with this boy. She sees his, like, bat tattoo, doesn't she? Oh, does she? I don't know. I All I remember was the Stetson cowboy hat. So she runs all around this hotel resort place where she's staying, looking for Jake. And suddenly the organizer of the event comes up to her and is like, what's wrong? Are you looking for someone? Is it a boy? Here, take my car and go <laughs> find him. Like, what? <laughs> so trusting. Yeah. So Lee hops into this little Prius and drives essentially all over this tiny town where she grew up. Like she just drives and drives and drives and pro- and I she they don't mention her paying back the gas that she used up. So I'm assuming I think, even though this I is a Prius, knowing, it's probably on. I empty. think knowing what we know about Lee, uh, she does not pay for gas. Oh gosh, she probably yeah. I have people that do that for me. <laughs> Yeah, she like um she definitely would not think, "Hey, this woman did a nice thing for me. I should fill up her tank before returning it." That's not a <laughs> thing that would cross Lee Merrill's mind. Yeah. Oh, wait, shit. I skipped the part. Hold on. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I skipped the part. So she doesn't she doesn't bother Sandra just yet. She goes back to her hotel room first before she hops in the Prius. I forgot. 
And um, I guess just so exhausted from her (laughs) struggle to find this man and sees a packet of letters lying on her bed. And I guess she just assumes that someone snuck in with housekeeping and placed them there. But when she goes to open up this bundle of papers, it's every letter she wrote Jake while he was in prison. Um, as well as a new stack of letters she's never seen before, which is a stack of letters he wrote back to her with the intention of never sending them. Which I believe at this point it has been established that Lee wrote to him for like four years and then he never responded or let him vi- let her visit him, so she just stopped. Yes, because of course this book includes one of my least favorite tropes, which is two people who can't just fucking talk to each other. oh god this book is full of it (laughs) so we're treated to our first flashback scene the flashback scenes were the worst because they were the longest parts of the book and they were so stupid (laughs) but we learn about lee's background so lee's mother ran off to new york city when she was young and came back unwed and pregnant with lee And, of course, Mom dies because we can't have any strong parental figures in this book. And Lee is raised by her grandfather, Jean, who is the millionaire horse breeder that we talked about earlier. Lee decides at the age of eight that the idea of her mom running off to New York City is the most romantic thing that's ever happened in the entire history of the world. So she decides that she's also going to move to New York. And the (laughs) way she's going to do that is by becoming an editor of romance novels. At the age of eight. (laughs) What eight-year-old is sitting there like, you know what I want to be when I grow up? An editor. Not not that there's anything wrong with editors. They're a very noble profession. We need them. Especially for these books. (laughs) But but like, that's not a career that an eight-year-old is going to be like, one day... I will read other people's works and correct their grammar. Like, <laughs> like I can understand if it was like, I want to write romance novels. <laughs> she just wants to fix them. Exactly. And like, that's a, a normal thing for an eight-year-old to think. Like, oh, I want to be a writer when I grow up because I love books so much. Which, incidentally, that's one of my least favorite tropes is uh, the author using the characteristic book loving Mm. as a way to like get us to connect with the character because it's like so cheap because obviously if we're reading the book we like reading books except you know not in this case (laughs) yes it's a dumb okay so then furthering this backstory along lee's grandfather hires some new trainers to help out at the um horse farm that he runs ben and dale and ben just happens to be Jake's father, who has dragged his son from Kentucky to live in Texas in a place he's not familiar with, with leaving all his friends behind in his last year of school. I mean, it's kind of a shitty move, but what can you do? Gotta go where the millionaire horses are. Gotta go go after those rich ponies. Um, (laughs) Jake and Lee obviously get off to a rocky start at first, and then they they end up kissing and shit. Granddad (laughs) does not approve. Granddad is unhappy and also the other trainer who is unrelated to jake is the world's biggest nasty perf is the creepiest like comically villainous Mm -hmm. character just constantly is sauntering up to lee and being like nice tit (laughs) (laughs) to this and again this is like a flashback and she's like 16 to 17 at this time Mm -hmm. 
even his clothes are sexually harassing people because he has like hats with slogans on them that say like <sighs> FBI female body inspector. <laughs> so good. And um, what was the other one? Don't something something oh, don't, bitches it's hate a, that. Don't be a misogynist. Bitches hate that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But this guy's obviously a great dude. <laughs> and it's weird because like, so there's another character. Well, we've already kind of met him. The creep at the bar. Um, his name is Russell and he has a larger part that we'll talk about later in the novel, but like, he's the exact same way. I literally thought by the end of the novel, he was going to rip off his face and it was going to be <laughs> Dale and they're going to be like, but I thought you were dead. I think part of it is that, um, it's like a, a diversionary tactic where they're hoping, or Chris Harrison is hoping that, um, by having these like overtly sexist characters who are villains, we're not going to call out this super sexist rapey behavior from the heroic quote quote characters oh my god yeah i had a huge problem with every single sex scene in this book (laughs) the amount of times the word no was uttered i didn't even i did not count but it was a lot so okay so then lee and jake make this stupid promise that they're gonna get married as soon as she hits 18 and that jake will quit the farm, and move to Boston with her, because, of course, she got into Harvard. He's going to move to Boston with her, and they're going to be married, and the grandfather will forgive them, because once it's legal, what can you do, right? Um, But, of course, all their plans come go crashing into the dirt, because crime happened. (laughs) Then, we get a chapter of bullshit introspection, where Lee takes a complete stranger's car and drives it around town for who knows how long, probably hours, um, looking desperately for Jake. And wouldn't you know it, she finds him. (laughs) But then we get a second flashback. He shows up and she's just like, immediately bursts into tears, streaming, streaming down her face. Yep. And is like, where have you been? So cue second flashback when we get the skinny on the actual crime that was committed. So it comes to light that Jake has been running drugs for his dad and Dale because, as it turns out, they're not really good trainers. They're just really good at doping horses. (laughs) So Lee discovers this one night. um, She sneaks out of her room to the barn where she finds Dale threatening Jake's life. She doesn't discover that they're doping horses at that time. But we, the audience, know that that's what it is because the narrator has told us beforehand. Like, oh, Lee, (laughs) like, it's this weird, like, thing where they're flashbacks, but they keep being, like, references to stuff that happens later. So, yeah, so the whole audience, like, every twist that comes up, the audience already knows. Like, we already know someone's going to die. We're already pretty sure that Lee is going to kill him. And we already know that Jake has been involved in this drug ring way before Lee finds out. Yes. (laughs) There was no mystery to this book at all. Because she doesn't know about the drugs at at all until the trial. Right, because he dropped the bomb. So, okay, so maybe it's Lee goes into the barn one night because she hears Dale threatening Jake. Doesn't understand why. Yeah. She, like, thinks it has to do with their affair. Like, she thinks that Dale is going to out them or whatever to, their, and which, to her to, to her credit, he does threaten that eventually. <laughs> Dale, Dale, um, <laughs> so Lee goes to confront Dale and Jake in the barn to go heroically save Jake. Um, she grabs her grandpa's gun, points it at Dale. And Dale 
starts blackmailing her at that point, saying he doesn't think that Lee will ever shoot him, and so he's going to tell Grandpa about this relationship that these two have, and, well, what'll happen then? Yeah, in addition to being comically villainous, Mm -hmm. Dale is also comically stupid in that if someone's pointing a gun at you, I know this is kind of a thing in action movies where people are like, You'll never pull the trigger, but like, yeah. don't do that. Because <laughs> guess what? That's a bad idea. We pulled the trigger. <laughs> and and instead of saying, yeah, Lee, it's better if you, t- if you admit that you did this out of self-defense because he was like coming towards you and threatening you and making sexual advances and when you shot him. Right. That Jake will, t- will take the blame for this and they'll make up a crime scene and... This story about how Jake shot this guy in self-defense because they thought he was a horse burglar (laughs) or something. Right, like they come up with the stupidest story to cover this up. Like, what if we say we're in the barn and this, like, guy comes in and we thought he was a horse thief. So we're like, don't come any closer. We'll shoot you, you horse thief. And then he came closer, so we had to shoot him. But then it was Dale. Like, that story (laughs) makes no sense. Because, like, yeah, if it was someone they knew, of course, that person would be like, don't shoot me. I'm not a horse thief. I'm Dale. Yeah, it's me, Dale. Oh, but he should have known better than to be out in Grandpa's barn past midnight. (laughs) Which is literally how they rationalize his death. (laughs) But, yeah, obviously, their story doesn't work because Jake is sentenced to 10 years in prison for murder and drug running. Taking drugs across state lines or something. Um, and Lee tries to admit the truth at the trial, but at that point, no one believes her, and it just makes Jake look even worse. So, <laughs> she really just messed things up. So, completely. then, of course, Lee, instead of, I don't know, continuing to try to tell the truth, is like, well, guess that didn't work. Guess I'm going to swallow this for the next ten years. I'm going to lie all the time, always. I'm just never going to tell anyone the truth about this. I'm just going to live my life. Right. I've accepted this. (laughs) So back to present day, Jake and Lee have had sex at least a hundred (laughs) times. He's in her hotel room. She's late for work because of all of this happiness that's going on. So she's late to work, but she does eventually go to work. And and the day's job is to meet with the authors of these manuscripts um, to see if any of them are actually worthwhile. And along with an author that she does really like his book, she again meets with the blackmailer who comes in and says, have I got a story for you? And basically pitches his book as Lee's entire life and then demands her grandfather's trust fund that he left for her. It was the creepy guy in the bar earlier. Yes. And he was the creepy guy in the bar earlier and his name is Russell. And the reason he thinks he can blackmail her is because he has some letters in Lee's handwriting, the ones that she wrote to Jake where she basically admits that she shot Dale yeah, and killed him. Yeah, but he has, like, photocopies Which, of them. Like, why, if you lied to so many people about this <laughs> crime, why would you put it in writing and send it to a prison? <laughs> like, <laughs> this just seems very stupid. <laughs> but anyway, it happened. So she goes back to her hotel room and tells tries to tell Jake about it, or she does tell Jake about it, I don't know, but it doesn't matter because he starts questioning her about the men she has slept with (laughs) in the time since he has been in jail and is 
dismayed to learn that she is seeing Joseph and that she has kind of decided to marry him after turning him down already. I don't know. She kind of like throws it in his face that like he proposed to her. So of course he gets angry and storms off. Which I mean, like the whole idea that he has any right to be annoyed that she has a life is incredibly stupid and frustrating. Like you, you didn't write to Mm -hmm. her for 10 years. You told her to move on. You told her like, you never wanted to see her again, essentially. Like, (laughs) what was she supposed to do? It's been a while. And Joseph is a real nice dude. Joseph is the best. Yeah, Joseph is my favorite. (laughs) So, of course, because this is a romance novel, guess what happens next? Joseph shows up. (laughs) (laughs) Because apparently... Lee has not been answering her phone for two days, and that's enough for him to fly from New York City to Austin, Texas, to make sure she's doing okay. So Joseph gets there, and it is very awkward because he's sitting on the bed she just had sex a million times in with another man. And they go out to dinner, and again, he asks her to marry him in a public place, and she kind of accidentally says yes. (laughs) Of course, Russell is there because he only lives to stalk Lee, and he's really creepy about it all. So then, okay, so then they go back to the hotel room, and Joseph is like, hey, I know how you just wanted me to be more adventurous and outgoing, so let's try that bondage thing you were trying to start the other night. Like, I, I want to try this with you. I want to grow <laughs> sexually with you. And Lee's like, mm, no, I'm, she's like, I'm too sore from the quadrillion times I just had sex with someone else. Right. But like the way she tells him, he, she's just like, why would you even think that that's what I want? Like, because <laughs> you just <laughs> made a big deal about this being what you want. Also, <laughs> this is the scene where I was just like, just completely done with the rape apology in this book because in a prior scene um the one of the sex scenes between jake and lee he's like starting to escalate things and she's like no don't and he's like well too bad i want to which yes that's terrible but then tell me to stop right she did she did she said no don't so then in this scene she goes stop i don't and tries to get away from him and then it says, he made a noise of frustration and let her go suddenly. He didn't let you go suddenly. He let you go because you said to stop. Yeah. That's what you're supposed <laughs> to do. He's the only one in this novel that understands consent. <laughs> but it's like, apparently that means that he doesn't care enough. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of issues with consent, they go to bed that night and guess who stops by the next morning? It's Jake. <laughs> and... So the two of them run off to some closet or something, or like where, where a, they keep the ice machines yeah, at hotels. I think it's like the little alcove with the like snack machines and shit. Yeah, because like, then Jake proceeds to sexually assault Lee again. Like he rubs an ice cube over her nipple and she's like, stop doing this, please. Like, stop it. Joseph is here. And he's like, please no, stop. Make me stop. If you didn't want me to, you'd really make me stop. And she's like, no. And then they get, he gets mad and he storms off again. Oh God. It's, and like, he's annoyed because she's like, well, my fiance is here. Oh, oh, that's why he storms off. Is, uh, he sees the ring and he's like, what? Oh, right. You're right. engaged. Like, yes. And you knew that this was a relationship that was going on. 
And if you weren't both terrible people, you would make sure that that relationship was ended before you started getting freaky with the ice machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hated everything about this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Lee goes about the rest of her day proceeding to cry to everyone she comes across about what she should do. How can she choose between these two men? Literally everyone. Even though she's, con- she's constantly saying like, Jake is the only man for me. I love him so much. He's wonderful and perfect and amazing. And I don't really care about Joseph, but I do love him. Like, nah, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is clear to everyone but you, Lee. <laughs> um, so everyone ap- apparently agrees with her that she should choose Jake because passion. And <laughs> nothing is the start of a stable relationship like hooking up with your high school boyfriend. Ten years after the fact. Yep. <laughs> after he's been in prison for ten years for a crime that you committed. <laughs> oh, God. There's so... oh, anyway, <laughs> the... <laughs> there's just so many, like, power issues, power dynamic issues with these characters. Just <laughs> it's... Mm. So Lee decides. That yeah, because only... that's, like, part of the reason why uh, Lee doesn't want to break up with Joseph is oh, because... Yes. He's her boss, and she's afraid she'll get fired. Yeah, she owes her whole life and her career to Joseph, and now he's her boss, so. Right, so it's like, well, that was a terrible decision in the first place. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But also, that's not a good reason to stay with someone. Yeah. (laughs) And definitely not a good reason to marry them. what happens at the end of this book. So all of this blackmail drama comes to a head when Lee decides to just withdraw a million dollars from her trust account, which the book makes a point, or Lee makes a point, I guess I should say, to say to Russell that she will need 24 hours notice to withdraw a million dollars from a bank. That's not how it works. (laughs) Banks, (laughs) Banks don't just keep a million dollars in their vault, like... There, there are other customers, and that money needs to go to other people as well, first of all. Secondly, I don't even know who in a bank you would have to go to to get them to sign off and approve a million-dollar cash withdrawal. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is, like, CEO levels. <laughs> and, and as a former uh, bank employee, you would Yes. <laughs> that's, that's not something where they say, oh, okay, like... <laughs> Let me just, let me just, uh... Let me just pop on down to our Scrooge McDuckian-style vault. Yeah, I'm just gonna scoop these galleons into your sack <laughs> for you from the vault here at Green Gods. Ugh, so dumb. So, <laughs> so she gets her, she goes to this magical bank where she can get a million dollars in cash in less than 24 hours, um, and then breaks up with Joseph and admits that she was sleeping with someone else and that she's just not a good enough woman to be with Joseph because she doesn't love him enough and he will find a woman that loves him enough eventually and blurby blurby blur and and in this breakup um they again try to make it seem like oh Jake is so passionate sorry not Jake uh Joseph what's his face Joseph sorry they try to make it seem like Joseph is like oh so passionless by saying um Instead of howling in rage and punching the wall like Jake would have done, Joseph stood very still, his voice going very small and cold. Okay, good. He doesn't have anger issues. 
Yes, he's a mature, functioning human being. A mature person who is listening to this woman who he's in love with say, I don't want to be with you. And he's like, okay, okay, this is terrible, but I'm going to let you do what you want because we are both adults. Yeah. Joseph is the hero of this story. (laughs) The hero that Lee doesn't deserve. Not at all. Which she keeps saying that she doesn't deserve him. And I'm like, well, at least you're aware. Yeah, at least you knew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, some stuff happens, but the only important thing that happened is that Lee ends up giving Russell the million dollars. Like a fool. Like a fool. Then Chloe, who Lee has sent on this awful errand of just, like, drive around town and find Jake for me. (laughs) does find him and brings him to the hotel room of Lee and they say hey I hope you didn't give him that money because we got the letters that he was using to blackmail you with by the way he was also my cellmate in prison and that's how he got (laughs) photocopies of your letters somehow yeah because uh this during her whole giving him the money thing um he tells her that Jake is in on it Mm-hmm. So she's she's not sure she can trust Jake anymore, but then Jake shows up and is like, You're a moron. Mm-hmm. Why would you why would you believe him? He's a con artist. <laughs> because Lee's the worst person and she's stupid and selfish <laughs> and just the worst. So they come up with this great plan that they're gonna hunt Russell down and get the money back, because three against one is pretty good odds. <laughs> oh, also, Russell is working with Jake's dad, Ben. Because there's this whole convoluted scheme oh, so with which like Jake's dad and Dale were drugging the horses and then blackmailing the people whose horses they were drugging because they're like, "Oh, if people know that you were drugging your horses, you wouldn't be able to make any money." but we drugged them in the first place. So I'm not really sure how this is your problem, but it apparently is. And that's actually why Lee's grandfather didn't want her together with Jake because he knew because he was being blackmailed the whole time by them. Yeah. So then uh, Jake's dad hooks up with Russ after Russ gets out of prison to like continue their blackmailing schemes. So again, Russ is essentially Dale. Yes, yeah, just Dale with a different name and skin and body. (laughs) Um, So they go find Russell's house, which is described as a hoarder's house, which is an important detail. (laughs) Me. Because Jake goes in and lights the letters on fire that Russell was using to blackmail Lee and subsequently ends up burning the entire house down, (laughs) including... The million dollars that Russell had geniusly stuffed into the sofa cushions minutes before. And also, Russell, he gets burned alive. (laughs) He doesn't just get burned alive. Everybody gets out of the house safely. And then Russell runs back in for the money. For the money that he's already seen has burned up. (laughs) Money. He's like, no, my million, and runs back in. So again, comically stupid. Very just oh, so dumb. And, and, and then Jake, Ben shows up, huh? I was gonna say, and Jake, in his uh, pyromania, has also managed to burn his own hands. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> it's all very uh, Mr. Rochester, Jane Eyre sort of, sort of deal at the end here. Yes, everybody's injured, maimed. Uh, <laughs> it would be more satisfying if it wasn't so stupid. <laughs> and also, if it if it's like if it was a lasting injury. I mean, not saying that I want a book where everyone dies and or is permanently maimed, but like, okay, you burned your hands. That's not great. But also, you you burned your hands. You'll be more or less fine. Mm-hmm. eventually like I'm assuming he didn't hold on to the I don't know I don't know I'm just like this isn't that big of a deal <laughs> no except for you all just wasted a million dollars right for no reason. <laughs> like it would have been even better if someone got away with the money like it's just so stupid <laughs> that they burned it all up because yay Lee Merrill's on her own two feet for once doesn't have to rely on her granddad's money that she never touched or her she doesn't uh, have to rely on Joseph yeah. so I guess it was like symbolic or something but it was stupid so Jake again runs off because he just can't be with Lee and Lee's like at first okay I'll go back to New York City but then is like never mind I'll go find Jake because I love him. <laughs> And she finds him at her grandfather's farm, where apparently Jake has taken it upon himself as someone who caused great scandal at this farm ten ten years ago, because he claimed to have killed a man, even though he didn't, but no one else knows that he didn't except Lee. And did uh, run drugs. Oh yeah, and also ran drugs and doped horses, presumably. (laughs) Um... He goes and he knocks on the door and Lee's aunt and uncle work there. Now they own the farm. They've taken over the family business. And it's like, hey, can I just like wander around for a while? I'm kind of homesick. And they're like, sure, come on in. Make yourself at home. He's homesick for this place that he lived in for like a year. And yeah. Was the scene of the worst thing that ever happened in his life. <laughs> so, you know, first place he'd go to. Um, so Lee shows up a little bit later and they're like, oh, we knew you'd be coming because Jake's already here and you two just go so perfectly together. <laughs> Despite having Ugh. never seen them together because yes. <laughs> they were forbidden to be a couple for the entire time they were a couple. So they were keeping it secret. And then he was in jail for 10 years. So based on what, Aunt Becky? <laughs> <laughs> So she looks all over the barn forum and or farm forum and finally finds him in the hayloft of the barn, which is their secret sex palace where they used to sneak and bang <laughs> as teenagers. The bang barn. He's just hanging up there crying or something behind some bales of hay and bales of hay. And <laughs> she she goes up there and is like, Well, Jake isn't here either. And then she like starts sits down to start crying, and then he's like, "Oh, you're here," and emerges from behind a pile of hey, hay. Like, I was here crying first. Like number one, did why why did you not check? Like <laughs> you're looking all over for him. You're looking all over for him, but not behind that one pile of hay. <laughs> Just a quick glance will suffice. <laughs> She's not great at hide and seek. <laughs> so 
They spend the next 10 or 15 pages arguing back and forth about whether or not they should end up together, including another sex scene, but this time Jake is the one saying no, and yep. Lee is the one <laughs> stripping him naked and then stripping herself naked and then, like, forcing herself on him. And saying, what is it that she says? Hold on, let me find it. Oh, shit. And saying, you want me to stop? Then stop me. Go ahead. Which is a super villain thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> It's not flatteringly. It's not a good idea. Don't say that. Like PSA, if you are if you are in a romantic situation, never say that. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow Lee uses the magic of her vagina to convince Jake that they should be together forever and end up getting married and have kids. So they decide to give it a go for real this time. But they have no money or jobs because Lee's quit her job in New York City because she broke up with her boyfriend <laughs> and has decided to stay in Austin permanently um, on kind of a whim, I'm assuming, because <laughs> her whole life is still in New York City. Um, but decides she's going to open up her own publishing company right there in Austin, Texas, because one doesn't exist already. <laughs> her first book is going to be one of the people that she met at the conference that really had no meaningful contribution to this book except yeah i her don't know me. why he was in there yeah it was just so that she could say something at the end of the novel about what she was going to be doing with her life i guess and then her second book she wants to publish the letters that jake wrote her but did not send to her <laughs> which like which also these letters okay. are included in this book like we have examples of them not good. God. Not good. Not great. Not something. It's basically an eighteen-year-old boy whining about, about the how fact he that doesn't want a girl to see him unhappy. Right. Like it's nothing interesting. And also, where could this book possibly go? Because it ends on such a downer. Like he just stops writing to her. Right. Like it's like yeah. Like what is the happy ending? Is or Jake any going to ending. write more letters? Yeah, like there's no, there's, I'm sure there's no, um, not even happy ending, but just an ending to that. Like, yeah, there's no uh, conclusion in those letters. <laughs> Unless his last letter just says like, okay, I will stop writing you. Ugh. I don't know. And then also she's just like, yeah, I'll get a small business loan. That's what people do when they start businesses. Like. Girl, you just withdrew a million dollars in cash. <laughs> They're going to be looking at you kind of suspiciously. <laughs> no one's giving you a loan. Also, the way that she phrases that is just 100% that's like Chris Harrison being like, oh, that's what other people do, right? Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Chris Harrison, I, know. I host The I Bachelor. I got money what, from TV. What do other people do? Oh, yeah. By the way, we haven't mentioned yet, this oh, Chris yeah. Harrison is the same Chris Harrison that hosts The Bachelor yeah, The Bachelorette. We mentioned it last week, when I, or uh, last episode when I assigned it to you, but yeah, we haven't brought it up yet. <laughs> Which is actually good because there's so much to hate in this book without even that context. <laughs> it was just so bad and predictable <laughs> and it ended on such a stupid note <laughs> oh man but yeah so that was uh the perfect letter perfect shitstorm <laughs> i hated it <laughs> it was pretty god awful um i mean like 
on some levels it was just stereotypical romance, which like I don't want to shit on romance book novels because I do like some romance novels, mm-hmm. but it was definitely all of the worst uh, tropes that you can find in a romance novel in one romance novel. Yeah, there was cheating on a significant other. There was lack of communication on all sides. Right. There was this stupid, like, what is real chemistry? And can you be in love with someone if there's no passion? And by passion, we mean sex a hundred times a day. Like, (laughs) when I was like looking at reviews for this to when I was picking this out, um, a lot of them compared it to two other books slash movies. Do you want to take a guess at which two? No, go ahead and tell me. Uh, the Notebook oh, and Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, that's very, yeah. The Sweet Home Alabama one. Yeah, I was actually going into this with kind of higher hopes because I don't like The Notebook very much, but I do kind of like Sweet Home Alabama. I'm like, oh, guilty pleasure short sort of movie, Reese Witherspoon, all that. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, Sweet Home Alabama is a book. Cool. But then there was this dumb blackmail plot, which was like the entire second half of the book, although nothing really happened. It was just stretched out so long. So it wasn't even like, even if you were into this sort of like idea, mm-hmm. it just went in such a stupid direction. I was, ugh, it was awful. Because <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought I was like, okay, I'm not going to. Like, I'm not good. This isn't going to be one of my favorite books, but I might like this more than Anna. This might be an episode where I kind of like the book and I know she'll hate it, but it did not turn out that way. <laughs> I eagerly await the day that we do find one of those books. <laughs> right. One of these days, we're going to find a book that one of us actually enjoys. But so far, we're 0 for 3. Yep. <laughs> oh, gosh. So now that we have kind of shat on the book for a while, is there anything (laughs) you did like about it? Oh, I was hoping we were going to do this very last because I literally have not been able to think of a thing. (laughs) And I'm like, I've been sitting here this whole episode, like recording going, like I'm flipping through the book, trying to think of something that I liked about it. Mm -hmm. And... There's just nothing. I mean, I like Joseph. I do like Joseph. But of course, the book hates Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not supposed to like Joseph. So I don't know if that counts. But if if I had to pick a silver lining, it would be Joseph is a cool guy. And actually, um, I think I have an alternate ending for this book that would work so much better and would make me like this book a lot right okay so so just imagine this okay imagine that and so it ends just the way it ends right but then there's another chapter where it's a a letter from lee and it's like oh joseph my life has been so terrible ever since i left you for jake (laughs) (laughs) no one would give me a small business loan and also both of the books that i wanted to publish were terrible so i'm making no money And Jake, because of his conviction, has not been able to get another job. So I just, I wanted to write to you and tell you how sorry I I was for breaking your heart low these many years ago. And uh, I I hope you can forgive me and maybe one day we can meet up again and move on together. And then it like goes to like, so like that's the end of the letter. And then it's like a scene with Joseph like sitting in a 
high back leather chair in his like baller office at his awesome job <laughs> and his like super hot wife <laughs> Sorry, <I'm snorting>. his... <laughs> his super hot wife who may or may not be chloe comes in and is like oh what's that dear and he's like just the perfect letter <laughs> And then he balls it up and throws it into and throws the, it in the fire. Pours some whiskey on it and then lights it. And that's it. That's, that's the book. It. So that's my silver lining. That ending I just made up. Oh, I like this book now. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good now. Uh, what was yours? Um, I guess my silver lining was that I was very impressed that it appears Chris ha- Harrison wrote this all by himself. Like I don't think this was ghostwritten. <laughs> That was so condescending. <laughs> well, like, you just don't expect a lot from a celebrity yeah. author, especially true, someone true. who's known for just, like, hosting reality TV shows. Right. I really wasn't expecting something. But there were there were moments in the book where I was like, yeah, that's actually kind of a pretty turn of phrase. Or that's, yeah. that's actually, that's a, that's a decent sentence out of this book. So, yeah, so, like, I don't... I don't want to shit on Chris Harrison entirely. He seems like a fine... Oh, yeah, like I mean, I don't fine... know him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know him. He seems fine. I don't watch The Bachelor. I don't I don't care about him. <laughs> that was We're mean. not part of The so Bachelor, mean. Bachelorette Nation. Right. I'm not part of The Bachelor, Bachelorette Nation. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, like, it's not that he has no talent at this. It's just that this particular story happened to tick everything that I hate. Yes. Yeah, like okay, writing like he's he's fine at writing plot, mm, not so much. Right, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, with that in mind of these characters he's written and created, uh, which one did you identify with the most? Uh, I think probably Chloe, just simply because she was just there for entertain like to be entertained by these people yeah she was just there to crack wise about their shenanigans yeah (laughs) but like because i i almost went with chloe too but um she did enable a lot of lee's bullshit which i didn't appreciate she was very keen to just do anything that lee wanted her to do with no questions asked yeah and she was very uh, quick to shit all over Joseph for apparently no reason. <laughs> Maybe just being a good friend. <laughs> right. Like her attitude at least was tolerable. Yeah. Whereas everybody else was just terrible. Yes. Yeah. How about you? Who did you see yourself in? Mine is a very deep cut. Okay. Uh, the character I most related to was the prosecutor at the trial. (laughs) What? (laughs) Who is given no characterization, but also is the only person to question any of this. (laughs) Because like, okay, so (laughs) Leah goes up and the prosecutor starts asking her, oh, this is what happened, isn't it? This is what happened, da 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 whatever, which is leading the witness, but who cares? And Lee tells her story and is like, 
No, what actually happened is that I got the gun and I shot him because he was kind of mildly threatening to me and kind of sort of mildly threatening to Jake. And the prosecutor is like, that's not what happened. That makes no sense. (laughs) Which, same. Yeah. So that's that's the only character I could I could relate to in this entire book. Yeah, there weren't a lot of likable characters. Mm-mm. I thought it was going to be Aunt Becky, the uh, aunt who only shows up at the very, very end, but is mentioned a lot throughout the book, because like Aunt Becky, I wish I had nothing to do with this book. <laughs> <laughs> but then she did show up at the end and was super pro Lee and Jake. So I was like, well, there goes that guys go together like tea and honey or whatever she said (laughs) all right uh so i challenged you oh do we have anything else we want to discuss in this book before we switch topics no i want it to die okay (laughs) i want this book to die no i think we covered everything in our discussion of the plot like there wasn't much left to this book no (laughs) no i guess i can mention like Lee, not only is she a super selfish person, she's also like strangely paranoid about people watching her. Anytime anything embarrassing seems to be happening to her, she feels like everyone is watching. <laughs> like, let me find, hold on, let me find the notes. Let me also pull up my notes to see if there was anything that I missed talking about. I like the part where she was like, that's my secret talent, avoiding scandal. And oh, I was yeah. like, you've been involved in at least one scandal but okay which is one more than most of us (laughs) oh yeah so here's here's one of the the first example of this like paranoia that i found so lee gets a text from her bff chloe and then the book goes on this last text made lee snort out loud so that the passengers all standing around her waiting for the plane door to open stopped to stare at her at the young woman in the designer labeled jeans and bag her long dark hair cascading in perfect waves to her soldier so- shoulders who'd made such an, <laughs> an elegant sound <laughs> no one was looking at you lee right right i was like no one cares which Again, kind of goes into this whole thing with the famous editor bullshit where they're the blackmailer's like, I'm going to sell this story to the tabloids. Yeah. No one knows who you no are. No one would care. I don't know. But yeah, she she's like so sure that the tabloids are following her. And at one point, um, <laughs> she's talking to Jake and she's like, well, how did he know I was in Texas? And Jake's like, everyone <laughs> knows you're in Texas. It's been in all the papers. What papers? <laughs> all of them. Emily. What papers them. are covering this? Uh, all right. So that was uh, The Perfect Letter, uh, which I challenged you to read. So that means it is your turn to pick our next book for me to read, for us to read, for you to challenge me to a read for. <laughs> all right. So this one, this one is one of those books where I'm pretty, I'm kind of hopeful that I won't mind it, but that you'll hate it. Okay. (laughs) It is a mystery. I know you're very fond of mysteries, the cozy mystery, called Shades of Grey by Clea Simon. I presume this predates the more famous Shades of Grey? Uh, let me see. (laughs) It was published in 2009. So I so maybe. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Barely. When was Shades of yeah. Grey published? 
I don't know. It feels like it's been around for forever. It feels like it has, it was uh, born with the birth of the universe and it will die (laughs) when the universe returns to dust. (laughs) Simon's tepid, oh, sorry, let me lead into this. Here's the synopsis (laughs) for Shades of Grey by Clea Simon. Um, Dulcie Schwartz, a 26-year-old Harvard doctoral candidate living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, mourns the death of her beloved cat, Mr. Gray. She's also worried. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go on. (laughs) She's also worried about keeping her temp job until September's grant money kicks in. Nothing, however prepares her for the stabbing death of her roommate, Tim Worthington, not even hearing the eerie warning. (laughs) It's so fucking stupid. (laughs) Not even... You can't see the face I'm making right now, but it's not good. Not even hearing the eerie warning of Mr. Gray's ghost before finding Tim. (laughs) I wouldn't go in if I were you. Wait, what? Um wait, hold on. Okay. So this is hold on. this no, is a hold book. On. No, no, hold on. Stop. Hold on. I don't want to stop. So the cat The cat is Mr. Gray and it's dead, but it talks. It's his ghost. But it's a cat! Thus, shades of gray. And in God the afterlife, this cat has assumably one become psychic, two, learn to communicate with its owner, and three, also learned how to solve crimes. <laughs> yeah. That's so stupid. It's gonna be real good. That's all we have for this episode. Um, if you have any thoughts on The Perfect Letter, if you've read this book and you would like to share your thoughts with us, you can find us on Twitter at HateReadCast. Or you can also email us at hatereadcast at gmail.com. You guys can also follow us on SoundCloud and on iTunes whenever we are on iTunes. Eventually on iTunes. <laughs> if, you, if you found this podcast on iTunes, be sure to follow it there. Yes. And, and hello from the past. <laughs> In the words of Chris Harrison... It was an old story, and the author didn't seem to have anything new to say that would make it fresh. (laughs) You did, you done did some good, Chris Harrison. Good job. Good work, Chris Harrison.